In part one of the sovereignty of God, we asked the question, do you believe that God is in complete control over all things in the entire universe? We hope we made a strong biblical case for God's divine sovereignty and his rule over creation and nature. We also addressed three main attacks against God's biblically divine sovereign rule. And today we want to tackle the most controversial aspect of God's sovereignty, man's responsibility versus God's will. Join us as we take this time to stop and think about it. Hello? Hello, anybody home? I think, McFly, think. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. What were you thinking? I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Don't say anything now. Just think about it. You're listening to Stop and Think About It, a podcast for the Christian thinker. In a day when sound biblical preaching has been replaced by man-centered entertainment and the church has become increasingly anti-intellectual, this podcast will encourage believers to think biblically and theologically. So please join me as we get ready to stop and think about it. Greetings, friends and foes, saints and sinners. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Stop and Think About It podcast. I am your host, Phil, the Bronx Expositor, along with Glenroy, the West Indian Wordsmith. And joining us once again is Pastor Mark Grimaldi, the man with no intersectionality points. How are you, Pastor Mark? Doing very well. Good to be back here with you guys. And Phil, you got to say zero for some people who don't understand. Got you. Got you. (laughs) Zero intersectionality points. So, Mark, last time... Glenn and I spoke about some of our personal struggles with God's sovereignty. Um, Do you have any personal struggles that you remember in the past when you first started learning about God's sovereignty? Was there any struggle that you had with it? Yeah, there was definitely a struggle. I could remember early on in my Christian walk wrestling through this. And I, I think it all comes back down to where we would question the fairness of God uh, is God fair to only choose to save some and not to desire to save all? Uh, and so I think that's the biggest question is, is, is that fair? And how can he allow, uh, just choose some to be saved and, and not all? Right, right. Yeah, definitely a struggle. I was just speaking to um, a former student of mine who's in college right now. And as we spoke, I gave her an illustration. I said, if you got a $500 speeding ticket because you were going through an area set aside for blind children and it said 10 miles an hour and you went through it 85 miles an hour and you got this crazy, incredible $500 speeding ticket and you were online to pay the money and I passed by while you were going to the courtroom and and I said, Hey, what are you doing over here? And he said, Oh, I got this big ticket. If I turn around and say, well, how much was your ticket? And you say $500. And I say, well, how much money you got? And you say, I got like five bucks on me. If I turn around and say to you, you know what? I'm going to pay your fine for you because I love you. I care about you. Um, I'm sorry that this happened. I'm going to do something for you. You didn't earn and, and you don't deserve because you did break the law. Can anybody online turn around and say to me, that's not fair. You have to pay my ticket too. No, and I think you're 100% right, Phil. When I first wrestled with this, I could remember that I was, I was praying about it and I was saying, Lord, please, if, if this is true about you being sovereign and electing all your people, please make it something that would comfort me. And over time, what the Lord did is he really got me to understand total depravity. And when I understood total depravity, I really saw that this was the best thing in the world. I was so thankful that God sovereignly elects those who will be saved because none of us would come to the Lord. I was convinced of that. Yeah, yeah. And really, I think to focus on something you just said, um, how does total depravity really uh, give the proper backdrop, kind of like when they put a diamond and they and you have the the black velvet behind it. So why does the black velvet of depravity cause the diamond of God's sovereignty to shine? Well, before we we do that, Mark, um, what, what's total depravity? I mean, not everyone knows, you know. Yeah, total depravity um, is uh, the teaching of Scripture that that shows us that um, we are completely and utterly depraved in every part of our being. 
Um, it doesn't mean that we're as evil as we can be uh, so that we just, everybody goes around murdering everybody and committing rape and so on. No, there's restraint that God grants us, but sin has affected every single part of our being so that we are completely depraved. We're dead in sin, and we would not even desire to choose God in, in any sense of the word if God had given us that opportunity. So, so in a sense, we're corrupt. We're like, our whole being is corrupt. Not necessarily that we do evil every single second, but it's corrupted. Yeah, everything that we do is corrupted. And even the, the good things that we do, because even as an unregenerate person, you can help an old lady across the street, or you can rescue someone from a burning house. We could do those kinds of good things. But if it's not done by faith and not done to the glory of God, uh, even that in itself is not serving uh, the purpose that would bring glory to God. It's serving our own self-interests in a sense. Yeah, yeah. And I know humanity uh, seems to value that more because they're saying, oh, you're doing this uh, to somehow appease God, and we're just doing this out of our good nature. But in reality, <laughs> we don't have a good nature. We have a sinful nature. We're sinners by nature, and we're sinners by choice. Mm. We act out our nature kind of like a snake would bite someone and pour venom, you know, into their life, into their blood stream, because that's what snakes do. It's their nature. So we act out of our nature. So Mark, yeah, like you said, you were, you were, you know, defined what that was. Well, you know, back to Phil's very simple question about how, how does that, how does that backdrop affect everything else? Yeah. The backdrop of, total depravity. I think you were saying, Phil, that it, it, it helps show all the more the shine of the diamond of, of God's grace. And it's, re repeat what you said again. I just want to make sure I have that. Yeah. So um, how does total depravity uh, kind of sh as the black velvet behind the diamond of God's grace and sovereignty? Yeah. When you see how depraved we are, when you recognize even that Everything that's out in the world, that every action of mankind, every wicked thing that we see is a part of our nature, and it's inside of us. And the only reason we don't all do what the worst of the worst do is because of God's restraint. And then you see that God actually rescues some of us, that he grants grace, that he forgives, um, that he pardons. It all the more shows the, the glory of his grace. And you begin to ask the question, why does God save anyone and not um, why doesn't God save everyone? Now, now I wanted to bring up something real quick as, as you're talking and Phil's talking. You know, I remember when I was younger, my mother, I thought she was, everything that was wrong was her fault. I thought she was an adult. She knew everything, what she was doing, and she was in some ways persecuting me. And as I got older and I thought, I was thinking about it, my mother was in her early 30s. You know, she didn't know how food was going to be on the table at any point. And as I got older, I started realizing she wasn't all knowing, all, you know, all perfect in those kind of things. And so I'm thinking, why would we want a God that is not perfect, mm. a God that is not in control, a God that is not all powerful? How can we trust anything, including our salvation, to someone who's not able to do it? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's much more cruel if you have a God who allows things to take place that are purposeless, uh, that he relinquishes his control, and, and we see things like rape and murder, and, and then we say, well, you know, God had removed his sovereignty, and these things really don't have a purpose. I'd much rather, after understanding things, not only from Scripture, but through experience, I'd much rather know that even those things will serve a good purpose, and that in the end, God is going to do good even with the most terrible things that we've seen happen in this world. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think that we completely see that happen at the cross. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that is, I mean, that, that's the crown jewel of this whole thing. We see God's sovereignty in Christ's crucifixion at his being beaten and um, mistreated by uh, just mere human beings mm. Mm. that he created. Yeah. And he led them to beat his own son on the cross yeah. so that he would die for his people. Yeah. When you see the, the disciples standing there at the cross and seeing the Lord Jesus Christ crucified and you see him crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And it seems like those prayers are unheard. Uh, God doesn't step in. He allows these things to take place. He allows the Lord to die. That would seem to be the most unjust moment in all of history. And yet, we know that God accomplished the most glorious good through ordaining that very suffering and through bringing his son through that point of death. Now, now ultimately, if we remember the scripture correctly, you know, uh, I think Pilate asks him and says, you know, I have the power to stop this, you know, basically in paraphrasing, convince me, convince mm. me that I shouldn't do this. Mm. And, you know, Jesus says, you are not the one who's going to do it. You know, you, you do not have the power, right? He's referring to God, the father, who's, yeah. who's ultimately the one that's going to do that to him. And I, and I think that comes to the heart of what this podcast is about today is, I mean, is it God's will or is it our will? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when you look at that, as you said, with, with the, uh, the cross and what took place there, um, it's, it's all ordained by God. And we see that in Acts when he talks about even how the people, uh, the Jews, what they meant for, for evil, of course, God meant for good, that God accomplished salvation through that. Uh, and so we see the, the, the goodness of his sovereignty, even ordaining to use the evil, all of the evil to accomplish his goodwill. Yeah. And that's what Joseph realized because it was his brothers, you would think, um, as secondary that sold him into slavery. But he said, it was God who sent me ahead of you. So it was God who did this. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. So, so, so Phil, that's, I mean, that's, that's the, the, the verse, right? That's the chapter. That's the part that really hits us. So, so, so and it's the question that burns in my heart is, can man have free will? Their intention was evil, and God turned it to good. So what does that mean for us? What, I mean, and, and like I said, you know, and it's a lot of different questions. We can all tackle them one by one. But one, do we, have free, do we really have free will if God can overturn what we want to do? And two, what's our responsibility then? Yeah. In, and in I the think, grand scheme of things, if we really are not in control of ourselves and we can't do what we want. And I think it's important to understand, too, when you look at everything from a post-fall standpoint, especially after the fall of man, when you think about the issue of the will, uh, it, really isn't, it really doesn't come down to the will because man's will can be free, but the reality is that man's heart is fallen, it is sinful, it is corrupt, and so the will will only operate within the confines of the heart that is corrupt. So if I were to say to you, Glenn, if we went to a restaurant together and you looked at the menu and, and the one thing you hate You're is, definitely paying, Mark. That's what I'm paying. <laughs> and they say the one thing you hate is calamari. You say, I, I can't stand calamari. I hate calamari. Right. You're not going to look at the menu and order calamari because you hate it. And <laughs> right. so even though you have the will, in a sense, to order calamari, you won't because your desire is, is not to eat calamari. Well, in a much more intenser sense, we cannot naturally desire to serve God because our hearts are corrupt. We're ungodly. We're anti-God. And so the will is always going to follow the desires and the heart is corrupt. And therefore the will is not going to choose to do right. So we can say the will is free, but it's within the confines of our own desires and our heart, which is fallen and corrupt. So, so, yeah, so Phil, before, before, before we get moving, I think anyone can listen to like our 20 different podcasts and just hear this theme. Genesis in the beginning, you yeah. know, po it, everything is, it starts there. And I, I know it might sound like we keep saying it over and over again, but that's the foundation of everything. And I think we go back to total depravity. That's what we're talking about, right? We're so totally depraved. We're so corrupted that X, Y, Z, right? That is that we can't choose to do good. We can't, it's against our nature, mm. Uh, and so we're bound by that nature. And so our will isn't free. And, 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 and Phil, I know you're going to say something, but I, it just begs the question to me, well, then is there any being that's free? Yeah, so I think that there is a being in the universe that's free. And that's the very being that humanity doesn't want to be free, and that's God. Mm. Right, right. So James White wrote the book, The Potter's Freedom. Mm. So it seems that humanity says, no, we have free will, but God doesn't. Where it's actually the total reverse. So uh, once again, man is trying to flip the script, but man didn't really write the script. Uh, this is man saying, um, we're going to make our name great. This is back. To, we're back to Babel, which is back in Genesis. Mm. 
And just as an aside, I think Glenroy is going to order the roti and the oxtails, <laughs> and he's never going to order the the calamari. He's really missing no, out. No, definitely not going. <laughs> so, so th- now this is maybe more more cultural, but there was a commercial I saw where the, the guys go into his car, and someone runs up and says, "Don't spill that in there. That's going to be my car after." It was like an advertisement for. Um, a used car and said so, so he's the person who's going to own the car after he owns it it's kind of like what we're doing we're saying god mm. is really not god and we are mm. and he's bound by what we tell him yeah. it, it's 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 backwards yeah yeah when you look at the whole picture of of scripture when you look at the reality of our existence um it all comes back down to that god is god we're not and God has the right to do whatever he pleases. When you look at mankind, we're, first of all, we're a fallen race. And even if we weren't fallen, we're creatures. But we're a fallen race. We're constantly running toward destruction and rebellion. The flood would have happened again if God didn't uh, vow or put himself to oath to never flood the earth again. We would have done the same thing over and over. But God keeps stepping in because he has promised to bring about a seed that would crush the head of the serpent and so that he would redeem his people. So we're always going in the wrong direction, and God is constantly, by grace, bringing things in the right direction. And then because he only redeems some out of this creation, we're going to complain. And and you know what's interesting with that, what you said, a couple things. One, when you think about it, when the floodwaters came, Noah was a preacher of righteousness, but only eight people were saved. Right, and there was right. only and there was only one way to be saved. So all those crying out, imagine everybody saying, "But we have free will. But we have free will. Yeah. You know, but we can't swim. But we can't swim." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it really is the, the the most horrific thing. You know, I understand it's it's not a laughing matter. I'm not trying mm-hmm. to make light of it in any way. But in, in all reality, um, God's sovereignty. God said, I, I, "I'm gonna I'm gonna judge." And only those on the ark are going to be saved. There is no other way. So they they could have said, listen, we're going to swim. We're going to hang on to this tree. We're going to hang on to this mountain. Well, everything was covered. It's, your free will didn't, it didn't matter because it wasn't free. It was bound in the waters, if you will, of judgment. Because when we say free will, again, as Pastor Mark said, it's, it's bound to our nature. Right. Anybody who says free will, I like what Steve said recently. He said, if you have free will, then, then will to never sin again. There we go. Can there you do go. that? You, you, uh, can, you, you wouldn't be able, able to do it. it. You can say it, but <laughs> you can say it, but it's not happening. So, so, so that brings and up. And then to, wait, uh, one, one more thing, quick, Glenn. And then just, just look at what man does with his free will. God put a rainbow in the sky and said, this is a sign of my covenant. And then there's a certain group, the LGBT and homosexuality, they've said, no, this is a symbol of our freedom and our diversity. Yeah. So I like what Ken Ham says. We're taking the rainbow back because it was ours to begin with. Yeah. God created it, <laughs> right? It's our, it, it's our rainbow because it represents a promise that God has with his people mm. and uh, that, that, you know, that he won't flood the world again. And, 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 and I think it's interesting. Great points, guys. It's interesting how, like, because you think of sovereignty, once again, we're talking about supreme power. And I think Psalms 2 really captures that because it's talking about mm. breaking, and I love KJV, breaking our bonds asunder. So mm. they're, they're both saying we have free will, we want to have that free will, and we want to take this yoke, this burden that, that God and his anointed have over us. And they're fighting against it. And I love Psalms 2 because it says it plainly. God laughs at that. Like they're tiny ants shaking their, their antennas or fists at this mighty God. And it's infinitely greater than us to an ant. Yes. And, 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 and so this argument about free will, about God not allowing us to do what we want, it, it's, it's, like an, it's like an ant or a bug buzzing at your ears and, and it, to a greater degree. And, and that's kind of what this free will th- thought is is you're not free only god is free he's the only one that's not bound by anything and he and and like i said why would you want the creator of the universe to be bound to someone who's was created it makes no sense yeah yeah and you know we all would agree wherever you are on this side of the uh, on this side of the issue with with god's sovereignty everyone would agree that god is not going to save everyone Right, that even if he, these people who would 
put forth the free will argument would agree that God's not going to save every single person uh, in the world. Uh, and so when you think about that, the, the priority of God is not the salvation of man. Now, it's a wonderful blessing that God is saving man. It's a wonderful blessing that God loves mankind. But at the end of the day, God's utmost priority is to glorify himself. And yes. he's going to glorify himself by revealing his glorious attributes, which will bring him praise. And so he will reveal, as it says in Romans 9, his mercy and his grace toward vessels of mercy. And he'll also reveal his wrath toward those who are destined to be, uh, to be destroyed by his wrath. And so he's going to reveal his justice, his righteousness, his graces, his mercy. All these things um, are God revealing his attributes, which is to bring glory to his name, which is the greatest theme of Scripture. It's God bringing glory to himself by revealing himself. Now, now, yeah. now, I, now I think we're making an assumption here that everyone understands sovereignty and salvation and uh, like our, our, I, I know where we st- where i stand <laughs> but mark phil are you, are you saying that we don't save ourselves that we don't play a part in our salvation again mark okay i was <laughs> yeah, well, yeah that's right pastor <laughs> phil give him the easy ones yeah we, <laughs> yeah we we play a part in our salvation we play the part of of a responding when God changes our hearts and regenerates us by the Holy Spirit, we respond to the gospel and we believe with a faith that is given to us by God. Uh, And so salvation is all of God. Um, Indeed, there is the command for us to repent. Uh, There is the call to believe the gospel. Uh, but even that is is a gift of God. It's God. He is opening our, our understanding. He's giving us a new heart so that we would respond, so that that call would be effectual to us and we will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's all of God. Yeah, I, and I would agree. And I, I would just add this, this uh, one other piece. The only thing that we bring to our salvation experience is the sin that needed to be forgiven. That's right. That's right. I mean, we bring nothing to the table whatsoever. And really, then God gets all the glory and man gets zero of the glory. And and this is a major problem because you have all people that says, you know, you have to open up your heart. You have to believe. Listen, if God doesn't give me faith, I can't believe. This way, if God doesn't give me breath, I can't breathe. And in the book of Acts, it said that God opened Lydia's heart to understand and believe what Paul was preaching. So if God opened Lydia's heart, that means Lydia couldn't open her own heart. That's right. And no other man can open their heart. No woman could open their heart. No child could open their heart. God must do the opening. And if God doesn't open it, it will not be That's open. Right. That's right. That's right. Um, what was I going to say? I, I just want to read this quote as you're thinking about what you were going to say. <laughs> All right, pause. Um, so I just want to read this quote that I read from uh, Steve Lawson's book on Old Testament, uh, Old Testament commentary. I just wanted to read this quote from Steve Lawson in his Old Testament commentary on Psalm 76 through 150. It says about God, it is his absolute active reign over both the heavens and the earth of all that is seen and unseen even over the dominion of darkness and hell itself. It is his undisputed right to rule and govern all he has created when he spoke the world into existence by the completely, here it is, divine free exercise of his supreme right rules over all with unvarnished, unhindered, unrivaled majesty. This is the bedrock and chief cornerstone of all divine truth. Right. Every other doctrinal teaching must hinge upon this God-exalting truth and may be brought into alignment with it. The sovereignty of God means quite simply that God is God, not merely in name, but in full reality. That is, God always does as he pleases, when he pleases, where he pleases, how he pleases, with whom he pleases. Mm. Amen. Amen. Uh, podcast over. <laughs> yeah, um, how, how you like those apples <laughs> um so so and i was also thinking like once again i know we're all thinkers and and i and i don't want to use experience as 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 you know we're, we're very doctrinal but sometimes experience is a good teaching tool 
Now, for anyone and anyone listening who is not saved, this is probably a little confusing. But if you've been saved and you're having a, a, a kind of a hard um, issue about God's sovereignty, not understanding it, I just want to think about the fact that before you're saved, you're an enemy of God. You you're at war with God. You think um, purity is silly. You think not cursing is silly. You think turning the other cheek is is being taken advantage of. And then when you ushered into the kingdom, all of a sudden you've changed your perspective on all these things. Mm. That change doesn't happen normally in life. You don't just one day, you know what? I, I, like you said, I like calamari now. That's not a normal thing. Something had to radically change. Something outside of yourself had to change you. From a scientific perspective, an object keeps going unless it's, it's obstructed by something outside of itself. So to have these desires, to completely change your desire is not normal. I don't think it's medically normal for that to happen. No. God had to have done that. Something has to make you, things that you hated, now you, know, you now love, yeah. right? With, with, with no other prompting. A, a good example of that, to not you know, belabor it, is a lot of people who are saved, and even people who are not saved, they get... If, evangelized to daily or multiple times over their lives and one time it sticks nothing special about it just one time the gospel makes sense to you and for a lot of people it never makes sense so there has to be some supernatural power in that because you're we're saying the gospel in different ways but it's always the same gospel we're not Mm. saying something new yet some people are saved and some people are not saved and it cannot be our own will Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I know Glenn as well, too, as you're saying that I was thinking about when I was first saved, one of the most terrifying things that I saw as God revealed my own heart to me was that I had come to realize that I, I did not have a sincere love for anyone ever. And I, and I knew that wow. I knew that what I did in the past was always governed by selfish reasons. That mm. conviction came to my heart and I was terrified by it. And so I prayed about that. And now on this side of so many years, I, I know that I have a genuine love and concern for people. And I know it wasn't there before. And it's come out of, of God showing me his love for me in Christ. But there's that power of the Holy Spirit at work. And, and you, you can't even explain it. But you mm-hmm. see that change in your own life. You know where you were and you know where you are now. And it's impossible, impossible to just, to just conjure that up somehow. Right, right. Exactly. I think one of the one of the first examples of, of when I was saved, I was doing deliveries and I had to back up the, the van onto the, it was like the way it's set up is like that you can park on the street. And in the process of backing up the van, I hit this car. No one's there. There's no cameras. I even I waited and I saw someone come out and I'm like, I hit this guy's car. I said, oh, don't worry about it. No one even knows. And and I wanted to leave because I couldn't afford to fix the, the car. I, I wasn't making that much money, but I, I, I couldn't do it. I, I knew it was wrong. Mm. I sat there and I wrote this long letter out explaining who I was, my number, call me. I hit you, I'll, I'll repair it, and I put it on the car. And I know that for the 20 plus years when I was alive, I would never have done that in the mm. past. Mm. But I felt like I had, I felt like, no, this is wrong. And I felt my heart had changed. I'm sorry, I don't know how you can explain that by saying that I chose to be a Christian. No, it's something that something that I would have easily done in the past and not even lost a moment of sleep over. And now I can't just leave that, even though I know there's no way for anyone to ever find out I did it. And I still have that note in my binder. <laughs> and I still haven't paid to fix it. <laughs> you know, but and like, once again, I don't want anyone to think that what I'm saying is, um, um, what, what are you saying? It, it, it's, it's out of fear. I wasn't fearful that God's going to find out. I know he knows. It was, it was a matter of how can I do that knowing who God is? Yeah. You know, how, how, can, how can a holy God sacrifice his holy son and then I continue to be unholy? Mm. And, and, and that's something that cannot be from me because it's not something that I would have ever thought of on my own. And it's, 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 it's supernatural, you know, and I know we're, we're reformed and we're not really... Um, supposed to talk about supernatural, but it is something that's, what I mean is that it's not mystical. It's something that's outside of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And recall in the garden in Gethsemane, Jesus prays, not my will, but yours be done. How many wills are spoken of there? 
Mm. Yeah, there's two wills. There's two wills wills there. That's right. Right. And so I have a will and God has a will. And left to my own sinful nature, that will will never submit to God. Right. Right. So when Glenn says, um, in a nutshell, I now hate the God that I used to love, and I could now love, uh, hate the sin that I used to love. I'm sorry, love the God I used to hate and hate the sin I used to love. We're going to have a prayer moment after this for you. Yes, we are. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there there really is is just a major switch, Mm. and that goes to being regenerated, which it talks about in Ezekiel, uh, I believe it's chapter 36, verse 24 through 26, where God says, I'm going to remove your heart of stone and I'm going to replace it and give you a heart of flesh. Amen. Remove your hard heart and replace it with a pliable heart in which the gospel seeds can fall in and grow and germinate and bear fruit for the glory of God, not even, not for my own glory. Right, yeah. right on, right on. Yeah. And, and, and like I said, I think, I think you know, we can tackle this back and forth, but like I said, ex- experientially, doctrinally, you know, any way you want us to slice it up, it's of God. And I know, I know it's for some people it's controversial, but even they would say after that fact, they would agree that it's God who's guiding them and growing them and maturing them. Even if they don't want to accept that salvation is of him alone, they, they do realize that the Christian walk cannot be done without him. Yeah. So, Pastor Mark, I wanted to ask you, in Ephesians 1.11, it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Yeah. How does that relate to what we're discussing today? Are you sure that in the Greek it doesn't say most things? Uh, no, it might be some. It might be some. <laughs> maybe in the, maybe in the Greek diner, but not over here. <laughs> no, I think it it relates a hundred percent to what we're saying. No one, I mean, we people do try, but to walk through Ephesians chapter one, obviously Romans nine and texts like that, um, and to try to come up with any other doctrine that would deny the all sovereign all sovereign nature of God over all things, it, you have to intentionally blind yourself because um, that text very clearly says all things. And one of the things that gets me in Romans 9, and, and sometimes we don't emphasize this because we're concentrating on the earlier, earlier verses, but uh, toward the later part of that text, um, it also says that, that unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we would have all become like Sodom and Gomorrah. So unless God chose, unless God exhibited favor toward Noah, toward Abraham, toward all of us, every single one of us would have gone in the direction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, So it's God's complete sovereignty and very clear, as you just read in that text, Phil, he works all things out uh, in accordance with his will. Yeah. And so I, I like the, the first word there, predestined, this inter-Trinitarian consultation. Um, they could have created the world any way they wanted to, but they created it in the way that they did, uh, starting with Adam and Eve as the first two human beings and allowed what take what took place to actually uh, to take place. Um, but many people have a real struggle with that. They don't believe that that God has predestined us, but they have another view. And what is that other view? Yeah, they, they believe that when, when they see the word predestined, because they'll use the word predestined in election because you have to because it's in Scripture. So a lot of times what people will say, who, who are at least in the Armenian camp, will say that God has predestined us in accordance to what he knew we would do um, sometime looking through the tunnel of time, he had saw who would chose, choose him, and those are the ones who he's predestined to, to, to save and to elect based on what he knew we would do. I think that's, that's one of the views that you'll see out there. It, it kind of sounds like we're sovereign. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And what's, the major pro- yeah, and what's the major problem with God looking down the tunnels of time? Because God knows all things from the outset, for one. He doesn't need to look down the tunnels of time. He knows all things right from the outset. He doesn't have to guess. 
um, who's going to do what. And then secondly, if God would have looked down the tunnels of time and he left it in our control to choose him, there would have to be something in those who choose God that's different than everyone else, something inherently inside of them. And what is that difference? What is it that makes Joe decide to respond to the gospel and Anthony doesn't? What's the difference there? Well, when I rub my eyes a lot, and it gets really blurry and red. I see an E on, on all the Alex foreheads. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so uh, that might be Anth- what he saw. Joe and Anthony, let me see. Uh, the calamari and the meatballs. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> no, no, you're right. I you mean, it's, it. It, yeah, I mean, it's a false premise. Um, you know, you, you can't, you wouldn't be able to make sense of anything no, like that no. because there's really nothing different between Joe and Anthony. They both have the same red blood running through their veins. They both have the same sinful condition. They're both one step away, if you will, becoming a Hitler. And and, and we all, I mean, Hitler is not an anomaly. I mean, anybody, any of us could have ended up as a Hitler. We think that's like, that's like something out there. We've had several Hitlers and we have some right now. That's right. That's right. That's right. If God removes his restraint at any moment from any one of us, we would all commit the worst of sins. Hitler is us just without the restraint that God has put on the rest of us. He leaves him to himself. Okay. Okay. So God saves us, right? You know, God is sovereign. You know, why do we pray? Why pray? Why bother? I mean, he's sovereign. He already knows everything. There's nothing. There's no, why, why should a Christian pray? You want to answer that fellow me? You can go ahead, bro. Okay. Okay. All the easy ones. <laughs> All the easy ones. Well, we pray, of course, for, for many reasons. One is, of course, we're commanded to pray. But yes. also, we have to keep in mind that while God ordains all things that will take place, he also ordains the means by which he's going to accomplish all things right. that take place. Right. Right. And he's glorified by those means. And right. so when we pray, and that's one of the means that God uses to accomplish his will, it leads us to increase our faith, to show our trust in God, our confidence in him, to give him praise and worship. So there's many reasons why we pray, and God is glorified in that. So it's also important, even as we preach the gospel, right? Like Paul says, you know, how will they hear without a preacher, right? How will they, and how will the preacher go unless he's sent? So there's the necessity of somebody going and preaching the gospel all over the world, not because God depends on those individuals, but because God ordains the the means as well as the ends, and he's glorified as much by the means as he is by the ends. Now, now Phil, as parents, now, not to compare ourselves to God, but we, we want to provide the best for our children. We want to make sure they're fed and they're clothed and, you know, they eat right. But there's a there's a there's a there's a sense of joy and pleasure when my son asks me for things. I don't just give it to him and he just expects it. It's it's I'm gonna do it. I'm not gonna let him starve, but dad, you know, can I get something to eat now? You know, it's 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 that process of asking. It's not that God doesn't know or that he needs us to, but it's it shows reverence and to him to ask and it pleases him to give. Yeah, there's a relationship there. I mean, imagine if it was my kid's birthday and I just left a note, you know, your birthday present, you know, is on the couch. Uh, it's Valentine's Day. And I just said, you know, honey, I, I left some things on the, on the kitchen counter for you. There's a flower here. There's, you know, and I just said it, you know, I, I did this just because it's Valentine's Day. But there's no relationship. There's no uh, kindness. There's no communication. There's no warmth. It's Christianity it is a world religion in, in that respect, but it's a relationship that we can have with God himself. I mean, when you look in the Lord's Prayer, it starts off and it says, Our Father, and Father is relationship. And when it says our, it's talking about all of God's people. And when I say that, what's what I love about that, I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said, um, Ought Christ not be able to choose a bride for himself right so when i got married i chose my bride right (laughs) and when christ wanted a people for himself he's free to choose his bride and when we read in john 17 christ said i am praying for them meaning his people his disciples his bride he says i'm not praying for the world but for those you have given me so even in his prayer his prayer was God-directed and God-ordained. And so as we pray in that same model, we want to pray according to the will of God. And 
again, there's relationship in there. We, we learn his will and his word, and we pray his will back to him. And what would God love to hear more from the lips of his people, but to hear his will echoed back to his own ears. I mean, what a sweet aroma in his own nostrils. And I would say it's the mo- it, it, it affirms his sovereignty that we believe that he can do what he says. Mm-hmm. Well, if I, if, 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 if I want advice on, um, from someone that I trust, I go to you, Pastor Phil or Pastor Peter, right? Because I know you're going to give me good advice. You're going to help me. If I need to, 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 to uh, do anything else, I'll go to the person that is going to help me the most. And the reason why we pray is we say God is sovereign and powerful and complete control of all things. And no matter what I ask, as long as it's according to his will, it can be accomplished. Mm-hmm. So prayer with God as sovereign is even more effectual. It's more important. It's, it makes more sense. Why pray to a God that is unable to do what you're asking him to do? It, it doesn't make any sense. And so, and so, I, so I would say prayer is buttressed by the fact that God is sovereign. Yeah, that's why you're the West Indian wordsmith because using words like buttress. <laughs> and it's, I like it though. <laughs> prayer is also itself in in how we pray and the yeah. worship and praise that we give God is a testimony of the work that God has done in us as well. Amen. So what God is being Amen. glorified in the work that He's done in us in how we pray, He's He's the one that's bringing that out of us. Okay, so let me just okay. add, let me just add one more thing, Glenn, because I, I I always love this. You know, the disciples could have asked him any question. Jesus, teach us how to walk in water, cast out demons, control the wind, stop a storm, call down fire from heaven. But they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us to pray. Mm-hmm. And they saw their Lord doing it so much, mm-hmm. and he did. He spent hours and hours in prayer, and probably nanoseconds doing a miracle and so there had to be a connection that they realized he spent hours doing this and nanoseconds doing that we want to learn to do what he did and become like him and only when god changed the heart can that can that be possible and so we want to pray because our lord prayed he changed our hearts that we want to be like his son Right, right, and so like so, and and just to to jump along because we we're we're, we're tackling a very big topic. Uh, the next thing I always hear people say is, "Then why evangelize?" Right, God's chosen. We're totally depraved. We can't choose ourselves. You know, man, man, will is bound. Well, what's the point in us going out and evangelizing if God's going to do it anyway? Well, why, why do it? You know, and I know, Phil, you should tackle this. Don't throw the hard one. This is, this is, a, this is a hard one. You take this one. You know, as an evangelist, like, what's the point? Uh, you know, why? Yeah. So um, God's means of grace to save people is the foolishness of preaching the gospel. And I like what it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 2 and 3. Jesus said to them, the harvest is plentiful but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So here's the prayer aspect. Then in the very next verse, he says, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. I don't know if you know about animals, but lambs don't usually do well among wolves. Wolves look at the lambs and and see lamb chops, right? (laughs) So he, he in a sense said, listen, you're going to pray. You're going to ask the Lord to send forth laborers, and then I'm going to send you as an answer to that prayer as well. We're commanded to go, and we should have just such a great desire to go. I mean, imagine if Pastor Mark had the cure for cancer, and and no one knew it. And he said, listen, there's all these people in the world with cancer, but I'm going to take my cure for cancer, and I'm going to, like, stick it under my pillow. I mean, that would be so wicked. He would want all those that had cancer, he would want to scream it from the rooftops and say, listen, I have the cure. Come, come to me. I, you, know, you can be saved from this cancer. Now, all won't come to him, but all those that would come to him would be healed of the cancer. Mm-hmm. All those that are not going to come to Christ, and we don't know who's going to come and who's not going to come, but we know as we preach the gospel, that men and women and children, that there are going to be those that he has predestined that will come. He's chosen the preaching of the gospel as the means to draw people to himself. And that's called the outward calling. 
And then, of course, he does the inward work, with which Glenn used the phrase before, the effectual calling. That's kind of the inward preaching in the heart. So there's the outward calling as we preach on the streets and to our neighbors, our friends, our loved ones, our coworkers, and then the inward, and they kind of fuse together. And God saves those of whom he will. And so we should have a great love for people that we don't want to see anyone perish and go to hell. I think it was an atheist who said, if I believed what Christians believe, I would, I would crawl on my hands and knees on glass just to go reach one soul that they might not go to hell. And that was from an atheist. Mm. I mean, if he could say that, how much he's doing it for one purpose, we're doing it out of the glory of God. And, 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 I, and I would say that, yeah, it does glorify him, that method. If we're saying he's sovereign and everything works according to his will, and we say, hey, I don't know if standing outside in the rain and the cold with this speaker, possibility of getting arrested, I might be assaulted, that me just saying the word of God is going to change someone's heart. Why? Because God is sovereign and he can. Yeah. It, it, that's the point. It's, it's, it's this... It's it, everything that we do glorifies him. Everything that, everything that, if we do what he says, it glorifies him. Yes. And the faith that we have in him is his sovereignty. That, that's his, so, that we, 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 if we evangelize, if we pray, we are affirming God is powerful and God I, can do it. And I've been preaching through the book of Jonah and God said, Jonah, yeah, so I've heard, <laughs> Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach. And he said, no, I'm going to go the absolute, yeah, exactly. absolute direction. And here's God's sovereignty. He was on board a ship. God, I believe, saved the men on the ship. They threw him overboard. A fish got, you know, uh, swallowed him up. After a night on a foam blubber mattress, he was uh, sent uh, all the way on the shores of the Mediterranean, and he went to a place he didn't initially want to go to, and the greatest revival in all of history, so far as we know, took place. And 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 and, and I think Scripture is telling us that it wasn't the prophet who didn't want to go, who half-heartedly said it, but it was God mm. who did it. Yeah. It was sovereign. And Pastor Mark, can you speak to this point? Jesus was crucified between two thieves. Mm. Why did one come and one not come? Yeah, there's a testimony there of, of God's great grace. There's a book, I think it's called uh, Christ's Greatest Trophy, and it talks about that great work that even in his death, when it was probably the time where you would be least likely to have faith in him as the Messiah, because nobody understood that the Messiah was to die, that God gave that thief the the faith to believe in Christ at that moment it's a glorious picture and it also gives us a glorious hope that we preach the gospel and we don't stop preaching and we know that God can save at any point yeah yeah and and you know what i think that that is really a picture of every single person in the world you're either like the thief that reviled against Christ and cursed Christ or you're the one that comes to Christ mm. and there is no in between. You're, you're either like one thief or you're like the absolute other yeah. thief. Yeah. So in our podcast, we got to tackle the reality that God is the only free being in the entire universe. Man is not a free being. We're bound in our sin. Our will is connected to our sinful hearts and left to ourselves. We would all end up being a Hitler. We would all end up walking completely off the cliff of our sin into an utter darkness and into hell for all eternity. If it was not for God's sovereign, loving, kind, and good grace that he bestows upon those that he predestined to save by his sovereign will. And before we end, we wanted to just update you 
on the new home for this podcast, which is upcoming at soulfishingministries.org. Our new website is being updated and will debut very, very soon. It will be announced on this podcast as well as in our Soul Fishing Ministries newsletter. And if you do not get that newsletter, you can go to soulfishingministries.org. It's our old website. Scroll to the bottom. Please subscribe to that. We update you on all kinds of things that are going on with Soul Fishing Ministries, such as our soon-to-be um, trip to the G3 conference. Please keep us in prayer for that. You don't have to wait for the upgrade. You can head to our new store. We have 2020 wall calendars. We have our Reftunes calendar and our Reformation Spirit calendar, which features different theologians each month. And both calendars are filled with important dates concerning church history. Also, I'm very excited about this. Check out our brand new Theologian watches. You could sport a watch with Luther, Calvin, or Spurgeon on it. And some of them have quotes by those great theologians. And you can evangelize if somebody simply says, what time is it? And you flip and you show them your Theologian watch. All these things are non-for-profit and help Soul Fishing Ministries to continue spreading the gospel. And we just want to thank Pastor Mark for joining us on this episode. Pastor Mark, can you just quickly um, mention the book that you wrote on this exact subject? And hopefully we'll be able to put a link on our Soul Fishing Ministries website to it. Sure. Yes. There's the book that I wrote is called Evil and Suffering in a Sovereign God's World. Evil and Suffering in a Sovereign God's World. And how can they get a hold of that besides on our website? Yeah, they can get a hold of that through, uh, you can get it on Amazon.com. It's probably the best place to get it. Or if they want, they can, if they contact you, I can get a copy for them as well. Okay, so you definitely want to get a copy of it. I have a copy in my hand, and you can't have my copy, Glenn. It was given as a gift from Pastor Mark to me. I have a copy for you, Glenn. Thank you. <laughs> I was going to I was gonna use my, uh, Trump, my Trump card. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> Well, thank you for taking this time to stop and think about it. If you would like to contact us, please email us at stopandthinkcrew at gmail.com. You could also visit our website at www.stopandthinkpodcast.com. This podcast is listener supported by generous people like you. You can give a tax deductible donation at our affiliate ministry at www.soulfishyministries.org and click on our donate link to give securely through PayPal. Thank you for listening to Stop and Think About It. 